Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here with my co-host, JB. What is up, guys and gals? Today, we are going to be doing our trade deadline primer. We were actually scheduled to do this yesterday, but of course, with the Mavericks acquisition of Kyrie Irving throwing us in a complete and utter loop, we had to delay it a little bit. I hope you guys can understand that we had to do the emergency podcast in that scenario, but nonetheless... Today, we are really going to be harnessing in and focusing in on what the Mavericks are going to do next after this Kyrie trade. There's still, as far as local media is concerned, as far as national media is concerned, there's an overarching sentiment that the Mavericks are not done. Now, we've heard that sentiment one too many times, and it ends up failing us completely, and they do end up being done. But, you know, we're going to proceed cautiously optimistic because Theoretically, it does make sense for them not to be done. And there's a lot of different moves this team can still make. I'm of the opinion that they need to just empty the tank at this point because that Kyrie move is a all-in move and the Mavericks still have one, potentially two first-round picks on the agenda, depending on how they're able to finagle the protections on that 2023 first-round pick going to New York. So, you know, they only have one second, but maybe they could get some seconds back. There, there's a lot of different things they can do. Christian Wood, per Sham Sharania of The Athletic, was offered a contract extension. We think that he's probably alluding to the two for 36 deal that the Mavericks had proposed about a month ago. We don't know if this has been a new contract extension or anything of the sort, but nonetheless, nothing has come into fruition yet. So the Mavericks appear to be actively shopping Christian Wood amidst him not accepting this contract extension yet. And if that's the case, we're going to be hashing out the Christian Wood fake trades, the Reggie Bullock fake trades, the Dwight Powell fake trades. I mean, you name it. Really, everybody except Jaden Hardy and Josh Green will be included uh, in one way or another today. Um, maybe, okay, and, well, I think Maxi. I don't think we're including him in any either because we're, we're sparing him since he's still returning from the hamstring tear and everything. I, I mean, that's actually not the real reason, though, guys. He's a hell of a defensive, you know, versatile player in our front court that this team sorely needs. So I just think necessity-wise there. They don't have any plans of giving him up soon, but you never know. We're going to be hashing out a lot of that stuff. And then Jaron didn't even get to cover uh, the Kyrie trade yesterday. And we obviously want to go a little more in depth into that. We did cover it kind of at face value, me and Rodrigo yesterday. But there are some intricacies of it uh, in terms of the pairing with Luca that we want to get into. And we didn't talk about Markeith Morse at all. We're going to talk about that as well and get Jaron's opinions on the trade. But before we do all this, have our big primer podcast today get more into the Kyrie trade. Unfortunately, you guys do have to hear this ad from our sponsor, Anchor, but we love Anchor. We'd recommend them. We have used them since we started our podcast platform as our number one uh, third-party vendor to post our podcast. So uh, we vouch for them over anything. Without further ado, here's our ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, so getting into it here today, guys. We didn't actually even get to check Mr. Jaron Bosla's reaction to the Kyrie Irving trade. He unfortunately was not able to attend last night's pod as it was 
me and Rodrigo for those of you guys that listen. So I'm not going to dive too heavily into it, but Jaron, go ahead and speak to exactly what were you doing when the Kyrie news broke and just your immediate reaction, um, sad, happy, mad, compelled, invigorated with an indescribable spirit. What, what exactly was going on in your head when everything happened? Yeah. Um, I mean, first thought was, I mean, Kyrie Irving, Instantly, this became, I think, the most star-studded acquired guy in the middle of the season or just in general um, via trade or signing. I, I That was, I mean, you know, it, he's the most 1A star with, like, history, I would say. Uh, but, I mean, if you can go get a 1A star for this sort of package, I think you do it any day. Not saying this is the best package in the world, saying Dorian and Spencer, of course, and that first overall pick, first-round pick. Uh, but even still, I think that was, you know, all you can really ask for. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, it definitely goes, your mind definitely goes towards the uh, off the court issues that he had. Um, I know you want to talk about this a little bit just because you, you didn't get to hash it out. Um, but yeah, you know, instantly goes to off the court issues, uh, you know, of course, that happened earlier this season and just in seasons prior, uh, just sort of forcing his way out of every city he's been in. Um, but at this point, I think if you're a Mavericks fan, you pretty much go into this season full force. Uh, I know Will's put up many tweets, but you just you empty the bag on this season. You go for the championship run at this point. There's no guarantees for next year. So let's F it. We ball mentality. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, that's kind of what we're relegated to. And I mean, we can make arguments all we want, whether or not the Mavericks should have done this. And that's definitely going to be something that we probably revisit in the near future as this offseason approaches we're going to look back on revisionist history and see whatever what all happened but you know we have to kind of roll with the sign of the times man and they traded for Kyrie Irving and you know there's obviously I, I think a sort of nervous angst that everybody has about it but also definitely like an overt excitement so at the same I, I think taking like yeah, and I'm not speaking for everybody. I know some people swing more on the totem pole on either one of those sides than others. I think both Jaron and I are definitely in that that middle territory where we don't really know exactly what to believe. But at the end of the day, we're, we're going to roll with it and be excited because, like, what else do we really have to? Like, I mean, look, like in Mavericks history, there hasn't been this sort of excitement around a team. Uh, I mean, you haven't had two stars to put next to each other on a Mavericks or in a Mavericks jersey I mean you have yeah, Luka. Like, like you alluded to the the 1a thing kind of talk about exactly what you mean by that because when you say Kyrie and Luca are both 1a's and there's no sort of 1a 1b scenario here there's no no this guy it's like a there there's no like distinguished you know like yes they are indeed you know probably Luca's better than him but it it you know, if the Mavericks would have got out, went out and got like Zach Levine, for instance, he would have been a one B, like very one B, yeah. right. Like speak to, speak exactly what you mean by the one A. Yeah, I mean that's a guy. You know, to me, one A star means can they lead their own franchise? I think Kyrie can lead their own franchise or his own franchise. Um, he can be the best player on a championship team. Yeah, exactly. The right roster, if yeah. he actually plays. Yes, exactly. That that's that's what my sort of one A definition is. Mm-hmm. Kyrie. Uh, I'm actually not sure what all decade or like what he was. I'm sure he's like an all decade second team or something in the 2010s, but that's a guy that, you know, is an all decade type player. 
uh, and you pair him up to an all-decade type player in Luka Doncic, I mean, this is a possible now, I mean, again, this everything has to go right here. Uh, that's a possible two out of five players on an all-decade squad, uh, whether it be first or second team, however you want to judge it. But that those are two, you know, amazing players, amazing talents. Luca, we already know what he can do. Kyrie, I mean, is a magician with the ball. Uh, offensively, this uh, there's going to be no match. I mean, this is the best backcourt in basketball, maybe history, uh, speaking backcourt. But, yeah, I think uh, we'll see what they can do. They start Wednesday night. But, yeah, my initial reaction was, you know, I was definitely like, look, you have to be happy because it's Kyrie Irving. We've never seen the Mavericks involved in that sort of trade. Uh, and so just to have the Mavericks name uh, was alarming and exciting all at the same time. But yeah, I mean, at this point, you have to go unload the raw, have to go unload the the assets that you have that you can trade. You have to go gra- grab guys that you can pair with a championship roster. And at this point, I think this Mavericks team went from debatably a playoff team to that sort of playing tournament echelon. They were on that line and automatically the the other thing is the West is the West is really weak this year. Um, if you're going to make a trade this year for a one, a star, you do it now if you're the Mavericks and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. I, I applaud Nico and I applaud J kid for going to make that move this yeah, year. I mean, personally, like, I, I don't know if I would have been comfortable with that package. Like yep. if we're, I mean, it, you know, I can but just from the standpoint that nothing's guaranteed and you don't know exactly what the, if I had a, roadmap that detailed all the moves that were going to happen afterwards then you know that would be different but it takes balls as a gm to go out and do something like that and still have confidence in yourself to make these moves going forward i do want to speak on the fact that you know that we obviously talked about in the intro about if the mavericks are going to make a move if they're not how they do have a track record of not making a move when they say they're not done and all this sort of stuff i think that in this scenario specifically that if the mavericks don't make a move for whatever reason and they just and like talks come to us a, a stalemate or something like that or or they they want to test out Kyrie if they're doing some like weird like litmus test to see how the last 28 games of the or 27 I guess at this point games of the season go and then see how good this roster is before trying to retool around the playoffs. I think if they're doing that at that point, like if they don't make a move then, I mean, I think at that point, then their ceiling for the rest of the year is, I mean, do they elevate or do they kind of just sort of tread water around where they're actually at? Maybe, you know, move up a seat or two. Where, where, where would you project them if the Mavericks were to shockingly, not shockingly, do nothing? I think, yeah, I mean, as you say, the Mavericks, you know, they need to do things and they don't do things. Um they needed a second star. They wouldn't got a second star. Uh, I mean, this front office has made moves, uh, and we've clearly seen that as of Sunday. And so, but to your point, uh, if they don't go and get more weapons, I guess, across the board, I still view this team as a three seed. I, I really, I am really high on Sacramento this year. I think that they are legit, but I think automatically this team elevates into that three seat spot. I don't think they're quite competing with Memphis. I don't think they're quite competing with Denver, but I think you push Memphis and I think you beat out Sacramento. Um, 
Now, given playoffs, you look across the board, how many guys do you trust playing playoff minutes on that roster or on this active roster? I mean, six, seven, like this isn't a deep roster. It's a depth is sacrificed so much for that. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there isn't a whole lot of guys that you can really sacrifice minutes for now. Get it fast forward into the playoffs. Like you only have a seven guy roster or seven deep roster um, that at least you trust playing valuable playoff minutes. Um, and so in that sense, I still think that's, you know, a very top heavy team. Um, but I think, you know, I know we're going to get into this a little more, but there's, there's guys you could deal, uh, around the edges to, you know, get, get your depth in line, get your, you know, the wing situation, the center position. Those are sort of the biggest questions I think that the Mavericks have, and they have two, they have three days to answer those now, um, and I would be I would be really shocked if the Mavericks don't make a move uh, within that deadline. I think that there's going to be a move made, but again, as you say, uh, you expect a move, and the Mavericks usually don't do it. So, yeah, you know. I mean, I, I don't feel as if the Mavericks have ever had a sort of interjection uh, to have this sort of sense of urgency to make a move. I, I I alluded to this in some of my tweets, but they really don't even have the luxury to not make a move. They, they simply just by default of what they did, they have to push their chips in, in my opinion. Yeah, you have to go all yeah. in. Um, I mean, there's no guarantee for next year. Kyrie, you know, we know his whole contract negotiation situation. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot. Uh, in Brooklyn, and that that ended very sour. Of course, he got traded out. But even still, even in the offseason, it was a very sour conversation to have. Who's to say that that's not going to be what is happening in Dallas? come June, come July. I mean, I think you have to push your chips all in. I think you have to push for a championship now. The West is very weak. We know this, and that's why we made this Kyrie trade, I feel like. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you have to compete for a championship at this point, or who knows? Is You know, I, I think the one headliner for this trade is this is going to make or break the Luka era uh, in Dallas. And I I hate saying that, but I think it really does. I think it really does. Uh, 100%. There, there's no yeah. other um... – <laughs> sort of way around it that this definitely either makes or breaks Doncic's time in Dallas, you know, whether it completely crashes and goes down the drain and the Mavericks are, you know, sacrificed and left with completely nothing stripped of all their means, you know, then who knows, Luca could have a pretty quick shelf life here in terms of how long he's going to stick around. But obviously if it works out, I mean, we could have a great roster here for years to come. Exactly. I mean, backed by some young talent. That's the outside. That's the gamble you're gambling with. You're gambling with a huge gamble in Kyrie Irving. That's why in a lot of these trades, Jaron and I were really keen at looking for the the younger guys on this spectrum if possible as a failsafe in case Kyrie that you know obviously doesn't resign. And we you know there were there were some older guys that we definitely looked at, but a lot of the you know defensive pieces that we were kind of looking at adding, you know, weren't guys in, in their prime or guys that were over that, that 30 marker, you know, when we were doing this trade deadline or the looking around at trades we should do and what have you, like we, we thought it contingent to be that a lot of these guys, you know, even if they're not necessarily there yet, they may still have some holes to the game. And, but you need some sort of fail safe if Kyrie doesn't inevitably, you know, want to stay and yeah. the contract negotiations don't go through but you also need 
these players to be good enough to still compete for a championship. So exactly. that's yeah. the sort of hard dynamic they're working with, but they have to clutch up because of what the, the sort of stranglehold they put themselves in um, by making this Kyrie move. Right. And, and, you know, we, there's been rumblings that, especially throughout, you know, national media and what have you, that the Mavs wouldn't do this without being optimistic that Kyrie would resign and what have you. Right. But, you know, we alluded to um, the fact that, you know, Tim McMahon also said that the Mavericks, you know, there's no sort of formal agreement on a contract negotiation and those discussions are going to be revisited in the off season. So there's sort of kind of conflicting, um, there's sort of conflicting data as to what exactly is happening here behind the scenes with Kyrie and the whole contract situations. Uh, Jaron, what are your thoughts on the the risk that the Mavericks are taking here? Do you, do you think it's worth it in, in your opinion? Or do you think that they are, they've basically stuck themselves in the mud with this Kyrie situation and, and unless things just go completely right for the rest of the season, they're probably screwed. Yeah, I mean, look, like you don't make this, you don't go after Kyrie Irving without some sort of confident confidence that you're going to resign him either in the offseason or just, you know, midseason extension. Um, with that being said, if he doesn't resign, what's going to happen? Um, I mean, like, look, the Mavericks, they traded away depth guys. Uh, they traded away, of course, Dorian and Spencer. Those are guys that are valuable and those are guys that you trust in a playoff scenario. Uh, with playoff minutes and you go along you trade them for Kyrie Irving who you know like we said there's no guarantee that he resigns um I don't think at this point you can fully wash away um I guess like I, I don't think that you can fully say it's over uh if Kyrie doesn't resign I still think there's a lot of time left or not a lot but I think I think there is time left uh but with that being said I think that you know, you pretty much have to go full safe in this season because, like I said, there's no guarantees. Um, you try and work a deal in the offseason, and like I said, you have to have some sort of confidence if you're going to go after a trade for Kyrie that you're going to re-sign him. Uh, for whatever figure it is, you – I agree. Look, 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 okay. Laying it out, Kyrie knows that he's in this situation with the Mavericks where the Mavericks have to re-sign him. They're going to have to give him whatever money he asks for. Yeah. Even That's, if it's uh, – even, like – I, obviously there was a lot of hesitancy when I saw the figure that Kyrie and his camp were tossing around at that 198 for four figure, you know, uh, that basically stretches out throughout the outskirts of his prime. And I mean, almost to, you know, where he's going to be 34 at the tail end of that contract, but, you know, upon further analyzation, I, I really thought about it and it's like, they can't afford to lose him for nothing. No, they can't. They have to, they have to offer him that. They have Unless to. things just go so drastically wrong off the court that it's not worth yeah. it, of course. And that's um, why I think Kyrie will be a model citizen for at least the remainder of the season. I think that he will <laughs> that's a, no, that's like a, legit. I think that he will be an amazing yeah. basketball player for, like I said, at least the remainder of the season. And that way he puts the Mavericks in a stringhold to give him that contract. And he is very smart in doing so um, because the Mavericks can't afford differently. They they have to. Um, I mean, that's what the that's what the situation they led themselves into. Uh, I think they knew they were getting in this. At least if you're a smart organization, you know you're getting yourself into that. That's debatable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, that, that is debatable. But, um, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of headliners. There's a lot of things that could go bad, but the ups the ups can be very, very, very high for this yes, team. I think yes, that yes. 
if everything is pushed right this season, I think that they can uh, possibly yes. win. For years, for years to come, for that matter. For I mean, this is potentially the most volatile move in the last, like, honestly, like, in the last, like, two, three years of the NBA, this is one of the more, like, volatile moves any team has made. Yeah. Uh, this, this is, is the uh, domino effects of what happens here, you know, range from multiple championships to Luka leaving in a year. So, uh, there, there's – and there's not a whole lot in between. No, there's not. There's not. There's not. So, you know, I think that's a good segue into the off-the-court issues with Kyrie, Jaron. Um, what are your opinions on – I guess first, like, before we get into the, some of the actual, like, issues in terms of some of the things that he said, some of the more outlandish things um, that are you know, discriminatory or – very um just weird or unfair things of that nature okay let's go ahead and get into just some of the 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 off-court stuff relating to things on the court like some of the things that he's done in regards to calling out i mean you could make a whole list a whole i could make a whole microsoft document uh trying to like list everything so i'm not going to go into like specific scenarios for the most part but he's, he's had, obviously, a lot of times where he's called out, you know, fellow teammates, you know, his coach, uh, front office members. He has forced his way out of a few different scenarios. Obviously, we don't know what's going on beyond, behind the scenes for the most part. Just from that perspective, taking account, taking away some of the other aspects of himself and all that, what do you think um, – does that make you comfortable going forward in terms of – how he is going to proceed with the Mavericks. I mean, at the very least, at least his most recent trade request seems to have stemmed from a contract disagreement, which is understandable. But, you know, particularly his departure in Boston and both Cleveland were more just a change of scenery type thing and a a lot more hard to justify. So do you have, what what are your fears going into this, having had that, track record with Kyrie yeah okay like let me clarify a few things a few things um he has a very good relationship with Nico Harrison going back to the Nike days uh whenever of course Kyrie had his shoe deal and you know uh well I forget what he was he was like a president of operations for Nike or whatever yes uh, president of basketball operations or whatever yeah that's it yeah um and in fact he enjoys or like some sort of connection with Jason Kidd um, dating back to basketball and sort of coaching and everything. So I, I think, I think the Mavericks for the most part, at least this season are safe in terms of basketball. I think that they can, all they have to worry about is on the court, uh, his play, but moving forward, um, you know, we've seen this sort of trilude in the past where Mark Cuban can sort of butt his heads into things. And that's, that's what you have to worry about is, you know, when does or when does the front office take too much on their hands and you know when do you give Kyrie a break do you give him a day off do you you know how do you work around that you know he's he's a guy that doesn't necessarily play 65 60 games in a season do you let him have his days off do you let him go do his thing like that's sort of what you have to balance uh whenever you're dealing with Kyrie Irving you know he's he has his issues or however you want to label it um, and these are sort of the labeling slash headliners that you're going to have to deal with, with Kyrie Irving. And we knew, we knew this getting, or we knew this as we traded for him, or at least I hope we did, um, that, you know, 
he's a different kind of player. Um, yes, he may have some good relations with Nico and with Jay Kidd, but this is a different kind of player you're dealing with. And, you know, how are you going to balance your team with Kyrie? Because we've seen it. He calls out his teammates. He calls out his coach, whatever it may be. How are you going to balance that? And I think that's the big question moving forward. I don't think there really needs to be a question this year. Um, because again, I think, like I said, Kyrie's going to sort of put the Mavs in a stranglehold to have to offer him that contract extension. So I don't think we'll hear a peep out of him this year. But in years forward, uh, assuming we sign or assuming he signs that extension, how are you going to balance that? That's that's the big question. No, I completely agree with you. The the whole aspect of him being a model citizen for the rest of the year is very interesting. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, I know that's just based on your your whole theory and everything, but I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you're talking about that amount of money. Uh, but we've seen Kyrie in the past not not tend to care about that at points. He, you know, still he's he's a very stubborn guy. He, I mean, he's done it multiple times. Uh, he says he's going to do something, and he does it. And I don't really think that there's many guys in NBA history that really go and do things that they say, and he's one of them. So, yeah. No, exactly. So, I mean, I, I, you know, you have to kind of applaud him for that. He, he's, yeah, he's yeah. sticks to his word, man. And I, I kind of want to like dissect and just in terms of, you know, what some of like these off the court issues are. I, I'm not saying that the Mavericks have the wherewithal to be able to remediate these situations, but we do have to kind of like look at the the optics of it all, right? It it does seem that. If he's in a place of where he has a peace of mind, I mean, he's not, this isn't some sort of Dennis Rodman scenario where he just has to go to Las Vegas for a week and go miss games to go bang strippers and things of that nature. Like at the end of the day, Kyrie, you know, when he doesn't end up, you know, playing or he misses a little bit of time or things of that nature, it typically has to do with something of the organization and him having some sort of contempt towards the organization, whether that be the coaching staff um, or the, the front office. And I mean, historically, like he really hasn't had any bad relationships with fellow players. There was, I mean, he obviously wanted his own role to go to Boston with all that. And, but it's not like he like hated LeBron or anything. So that much, I mean, I don't really have like chemistry issue questions. I think he can get along well with guys. My my more hesitancy in this situation that, you know, as we dive further into it is just, can he be kept at a sort of contentness and a, a peace of mind to where he's not doing those things every couple of weeks? And, you know, I, I'm not one to, to blame the figureheads of the Nets or the Celtics um, for basically – leading the way for Kyrie to do all these things. I, I, we really don't know what happened. Like what we can't, we weren't in the room when these things happened and I, I'm not going to argue whichever way, but it is, it would be negligible of us to not acknowledge that he has a track record of obviously like when things aren't going his way, he is going to do something about it rather drastically. And I think that's about as blunt as it, it needs to be. We don't need to necessarily dissect his morals or why he may be doing said things. At the end of the day, I, I had mentioned this on Twitter a little bit too, like 
Kyrie, he has a lot of like very virtuous and high, high withstanding morals um, in terms of how he views his spiritual, uh, spirituality, his religion. Um, he's a very big like mental health advocate, which I think a lot of people can appreciate. And he, he does like have some, you know, big motivational things. I'd be remiss to say that I don't agree with like a lot of his sentiments in regards to just the way he views life. I mean, I may not necessarily be on the as weird on that side of the spectrum and as conspiracy theorist as he has kind of been in the path, like with the you know whole protecting your energy flat earth stuff. But I mean, a lot of the stuff that he preaches is even if it is maybe convoluted by um some sort of weird um like thing at the surface like oh flat earth like the deeper meaning behind the things that he says like tends to typically be a like an abject or you know a, a objective truth so from that perspective you know i'm not gonna hate on the guy for that side of him I'm, I'm i don't think that we need to we're not here to tell Kyrie and not be himself like he can do that as much as he want okay the the things that are alarming with this guy to put it put to put it bluntly um for one are obviously the anti-semitic comments that he made earlier this year um you know he obviously has made reconciliation efforts with the jewish community that was prompted by the brooklyn nets you know it wasn't it didn't seem as if it was on his own volition at first I will say that much. And, you know, I will preface that he, he did seem earnestly sorry about it. And it didn't seem like something that was very intentional. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it is also inexcusable. And it's not something that we should just brush by the wayside and give him the benefit of the doubt in future scenarios, especially in a situation with the Mavericks. But I've seen some local media figureheads with the Mavericks, you know, start, start to already, you know, start the skepticism. I do think from the, he should be given the benefit of the doubt from the perspective that he shouldn't be just criticized upon his weirdness. Like, you know, let the guy be himself as long as he's not saying anything that is harmful or hurtful towards any community, things of that nature. And I mean, I think that that's something we can all agree with, okay, regardless of how you view his moral values and his, the, the manner in which he operates regarding his spirituality and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, but just in terms of how everything relates to basketball, I, I think that personally, the best solution to this situation is just being able to, not neglecting conflict, but the Mavericks need to, they really need to, you know, have everything dialed in, in terms of how they're operating with a personality like him. I'm not saying that they need to curate to his every need, uh, but they, they need to take the steps to um, manage that personality um, accordingly. And, you know, if he, if he has some obviously de demanding requ requests that are just simply unattainable or something that is just um just too outlandish like obviously that's not the maverick's place to consolidate and try to fit the need there but at the same time if there are scenarios where 
you know, that they can have some sort of workaround or they can try to work together to come to a solution. Cause you know, I, I, there is a sort of paint, a picture painted of Kyrie because some of the things he said, but at the end of the day, this is a guy who we also have to realize is very vocal, you know, within the, um, you know, in terms of his social issues and trying to tend to those matter, he's trying to tend to those matters. He's very, um, outgoing about how he wants to fix things in that realm so at the same time I mean I, I think that the Mavericks and Kyrie aside the Mavericks need to be able to you know really make ends meet on that side of things as well even if he's not um you know even even if it's a just a step if even if Kyrie was never traded here uh, especially with their track record as an organization, some of the malpractice that has gone on within their workplace. I mean, they they need to be even, you know, even more so contingent upon some of those things. But, you know, it, it's a it's a weird sort of domino effect on how, how they're going to manage this whole situation. Uh, I think they just need to do everything that they can, but things that Kyrie's asking outside of them, you know, if, if he ends up wanting to go on strike for a particular matter, now, you know, you have, as long as it's reasonable, you have to respect it at the end of the day. Um, but then if, you know, he says something that's offensive towards a particular group, I don't, I don't expect the Mavericks to just back him and appease him at his every need. Um, and, you know, you have a very interesting personality and Mark Cuban as the owner of the team here too. So that's going to be really, that scares me in terms of how that's going to get managed. But I, I think the Mavericks need to, it's not going to be easy, but, I think the the key to Kyrie missing less games and really only missing games for injury management and things of that nature is appeasing him where, you know, in terms of issues that you guys can work to, that the Mavericks for that matter can work together with him on, but then also having the stability to, you know, admit his, um, his wrongdoings or, or something that he says that just, you know, simply the organization can't agree with, you know, let, let it, let him say his conspiracy theorist stuff. Like, I don't, who cares if Kyrie thinks the earth is flat, nobody cares. Right. But where, where it gets, you know, actually um, serious is when he starts, you know, saying some of the aforementioned things and you can debate all you want, whether he deserves to be in the NBA because of some of the stuff he said that that's, up to you. I, I think we all have our own opinions on it. I'm, I am one to, to give credence to the fact that there should be second chances. And I, I do think that he took the appropriate steps to deserve a second chance. Um, especially since it wasn't like he had said something like that before, but, you know, at the same time, you know, things tend to get misconstrued and we, we just need to operate with caution as we go forward um, would be my, summation of it i know that was a little bit of a longer rant um and, and, and admittedly i haven't looked into exactly the ramifications of what happened with the whole jewish thing i i and i don't think he actually said it specifically if i, I think, remember correctly i'm not even sure if he quoted the documentary but he he had some sort of thing that he had with like he this reposted document. the documentary as like his instagram story it was yeah. something like that uh, so, so it was basically, you, you know, he was paraphrasing or and saying it through a third party, but 
you know, same, same thing to an extent. And it's a sticky situation to operate under, but I, I'm one technically, and me personally, I'm one to believe in, in second chances and everything. I, I basically just said in that whole segment regarding them having to come to some sort of equilibrium to, you know, keep him content and happy, but also not sacrificing the organization's values and, you know, proper moral values, I think is the hard spectrum and hard line that they're going to have to be able to sharpen. What What are your thoughts, Jaron? Yeah, I mean, I think everything you said is very true. They're going to have to find ways um, to keep their morals uh, and also find ways to appease to Kyrie. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and, you know, do the things he said or anything like that. Like, I mean, we could be in a different situation, of course, but I think he's learned. Um, I mean, of course, he made, you know, very harsh remarks, but I think he's learned. And I think the organization is going to have to find ways to deal with that sort of thing if it ever does sort of construe itself again. But yeah, no, 100%. I, I definitely second a lot of the things that you said there and in regards to my response about the whole Kyrie off the court issues. But, you know, I do think that we've talked about it at nauseum now. It was, it was something that, you know, it's obviously an uncomfortable conversation to be had, but it was necessary, especially with him coming to the Mavericks. And I'm glad that we were able to, you know, hash out our opinions uh, in that manner, in that in that sort of fashion. Next, you know, let's go ahead and segue to the on-court fit, you know. Um, first and foremost, what do you think the basketball relationship with Kyrie and Luca will be like? Do you think – because I've seen a couple people mention already they they think that there could potentially be some some sort of contempt towards the other person, you know, for you know, ball hogging or something of that nature, the heliocentric offense, all that sort of stuff. Do you think the Mavericks play style is going to change because of it? Do you think that Luca or Kyrie would either get mad at each other at any point? Speak on speak on that fact of the matter and just in if you think that the relationship could end up getting tarnished at any point. Yeah. I mean, I think automatically Kyrie elevates into the best teammate Luca's ever played with uh, and possibly ever will play with. Um, I'm not ruling out future implications or anything, but ultimately Kyrie is now the best teammate Luca's ever played with. Um, I think in regards to the on-court fit, I know a lot of people have been saying two ball hog guards aren't going to work together. Uh, it didn't work in Brooklyn with three. It's not going to work with two. Um, or even whenever Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant and Kyrie were on the court together, at times it didn't work. Um, I think there's going to be an adjustment period for both those guys. But needless to say, I think once everything's figured out, and I don't think it'll be too long, uh, once everything's figured out, I think these two guys will bounce right off of each other. Luca has had such a huge workload this season that I think that he was very going or he is going to welcome with open arms another guy who can do essentially what he does at of course a different rate and you know on different side of the court. But I, I think ultimately this is going to be a pairing that Luca's going to embrace. I think this will be a pairing that Kyrie's going to embrace. Um I mean Luca is a once in generation type of talent and same goes for Kyrie um, in terms of just point guard styles but 
I, I think, you know, in terms of the Mavericks now, does their sort of play style change? I, I think it I think it has to. Um, you elevate two guards now. I think sort of the rotation might stay the same. I think you can give Luca a little bit more rest, of course. Um, but I think, you know, Luca's gonna stay on the whole entire first quarter while Kyrie might exit off, you know, four minutes or uh, with four minutes remaining, just just to sort of elevate these non-Luca minutes. Um, or not elevate, but get the most out of these non-Luca minutes. I think Kyrie will be on the floor for those. Um, but I think generally, I think you change the play style. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to look. I, you know, again, those are two guys that can score inside. Those are two guys that can score pretty much at nauseum wherever they want to. Uh, they can just dictate wherever they want to score. Those are two guys that can do that now on the court at the same time. Um, you're going to have to surround them with different level of players. They're different, different levels of players than, you know, surrounding Luka with just wings. It's going to have to be a different aspect of that. Uh, I'm interested to see what the Mavericks do, whether it be this offseason or the summer or next offseason. I think there's some different things that they can do. But with that being said, I think the play style is going to have to change regardless. Um, of course, you know, you now have Kyrie, you now have Luka. Um, those are your two superstars right there. Uh, we've been asking for it for what five years now since Luca was in his rookie season uh, we thought he we thought we got it with KP and we didn't and we're still feeling the effects of that uh, but hopefully we don't mess this one up and I, I think it regardless I think the play style is going to have to change and yeah I think I think the on-court fit will pretty be or will be I, I think it'll be pretty seamless they might have their ups and downs here and there but I think it I think it'll be pretty pretty easy uh, once we see them get comfortable I would say yeah, I mean, I think the sort of on-court implications, like you're going to have two point-of-attack ball handlers at all times. There's no sort of – Dinwiddie, not that he was a bailout, but he was more along the lines of, you know, if the possession started to stagnate or something of that nature. Luca was getting doubled. He would he was looking more as an option in that sense. I mean, even Brunson is not on the level of Kyrie to where – he can create a shot at a moment's notice, you know, in the, in the same manner that Luca can. And I, I do think that that's, you know, in, indescribably valuable to this team. And, and I think that Kyrie's inclusion in this offense um, is going to be that, that, that relieves great pressure of Luca. I mean, you now have another guy that is going to face double teams. I mean, you can use Luca off ball a little bit. This opens up, a lot of different um, things the Mavericks can do. I, I think, especially, you know, in those minutes that they're working together, I, I think it would be negligible to to still opt for that heliocentric play style with, with Kyrie looked out more, you know, as in Spencer's role where, I mean, yes, he's still a, you know, a quote unquote secondary ball handler that relieves the pressure off Luca, you know, when, He's taking a possession off or, you know, when Luca gets doubled and Spencer's asked to make a play one-on-one with a guy. I mean, these are two primary ball handlers rather would be a better way to put it. These aren't, yeah. this isn't one primary and one secondary ball handler. These are in the Mavericks. Yes. They may need a third ball handler at this point. We'll get into that later in our trade segment, but these are two primary ball handlers. And I expect the Mavericks to opt accordingly with that. And that means, you know, some of them admittedly, uh, between Kyrie and Luca, they'll have to, you know, both of them will have to work off ball 
a little bit to complement each other. And, but at the same time, the, what the Mavericks can do in this, I mean, you have the ability to maybe run split action with Luca in the post. I mean, there, there's a lot of different offensive actions that they can get dive into that they simply just never had the wherewithal or ability to do before. And uh, that's very exciting. Like, like you said, Jaron, like we have no way of predicting exactly what they're going to do, but we have an idea of some of the things that can be on the horizon here. And I mean, it's, I think it's very excited. There could be some rough patches at the start and it may you know, definitely be kind of hard to see how they coincide at the very beginning, just like with any, um, you know, formation of, you know, two guys coming together, or like a big three, like we I mean, even like the Miami heat big three had its, it's bouts just in terms of everybody being able to get theirs at the start. But I, I mean, I think that this is definitely a sort of micronized version of, I mean, we've seen crazier NBA pairings. Kyrie's been a part of crazy and crazier NBA pairings where, the, the, the split, the splitation of scoring was a lot, you know, a lot more mouths to feed. I mean, Harden, um, you have, you know, Durant and Kyrie, like that, that was a crazy situation, even though, you know, we all, we all obviously saw very limited games out of that squad. It's not like the Mavericks really have an insane amount of offensive creation outside of Luka and Kyrie. They're going to be looked at to do a bulk of everything. I mean, honestly, I think, I think to their benefit to an extent and, there may be some rough patches at the beginning, but I think the on-court fit will gel seamlessly once they get going. And just in terms of personality meshing, like I don't think – I think Luca is a is a pretty, like, even-keel, fun-going guy. I mean, he, he's definitely not as, like, stern or, or doesn't get butthurt over things necessarily as some of the guys Kyrie's played with in the past. Maybe Ky, Kyrie is the type that, you know, is easily offended, things of that nature. But I, I think, you know, Luca, I feel like, has a tendency to blend well in with anybody. Like I, I don't really see him having any problems unless Kyrie like starts calling him out in the media specifically or some crazy stuff happening. Like I just don't see the, him having some of the same problems with Kyrie as a teammate as some of his American counterparts in KD and, you know, even LeBron to a lesser extent that Kyrie has played with. I mean, Luca's just a really happy go lucky kind of guy that, easy to get along with and I, I think that that'll hopefully translate to onto the court uh pretty well and I, I think Kyrie definitely respects the fact it, from their brief encounters that we've seen post game um when they played against each other um the fact that you know Luca has done this coming from the international scene um I, I do think there's a respect factor there so from that perspective um that 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 does is definitely intriguing and exciting because it's you know you hope that that may be something to kind of remediate some problems that Kyrie's had in the plat in the past, just in terms of gelling on court with some of yeah. his other teammates. You know, this like I alluded to, he's never really had problems with specific teammates um, off the court. It, it really just seems like those problems emanate on the court. So I, I just think because of how easygoing Luca is, he could definitely eliminate any sort of rise of those things. And I mean, I obviously talk about just the relief that. Luca is going to be able to provide in terms of, you know, how they're playing together on the court. Next, I kind of want to get into um, Kyrie's just what he can provide offensively to this team. You know, we obviously talked about his fit with Luca specifically, but what, what I mean, like what get into the intricacies of his, his game as a three level score um, stylistically, how, how he's able to get his buckets 
and just specifically in the offensive side of the ball, what do you think we're going to be seeing from him um, as he gets going when uh, when he puts on that Mavericks uniform, Jaron? Yeah, I like what you said where, you know, Luca and now Kyrie are still going to be looked at to maintain the bulk of the offense. Uh, and in doing so, I mean, these guys are still going to get theirs. I don't think there'll be any sort of hunger to have the ball in your well, hand. Let, let me preface. Let me preface. We obviously don't know if Christian Wood's going to be on this team past February 9th. And yeah, that's I yeah. To that in the first segment. That could change a little bit of things to an extent. If he, if he still stays on this team past February 9th, um, you know, Christian Wood's never been a demanding guy. And I think that, you know, he he's not that he's definitely a tear down behind those guys by a, quite the large margin. And he, he's not the type, especially from his time in Dallas, to definitely, you know, to start demanding more touches and things of that nature. I, I still think he can get his within the flow of the offense with both of those guys, especially uh, when it's, you know, solely Luca out there with Wood or solely Kyrie out there with Wood. I think that those lineups will still actually play, you know, will go swimmingly well. But I, I do think that, um, you know, that – there may be a potential for little conflict there with having more Mavs to feed, but I, I would probably push back that I even think if I think even if Christian Woods passed, you know, on the team past February 9th, I, I still don't, just because of his personality, I don't expect problems to emanate, but you never know. Yeah. 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 I guess like you have to include Christian Wood, assuming, you know, of course, past February 9th that he's still on the team. Um, regardless though, I, I think that there won't be any trouble with Luca and Kyrie because again, they're still going to be looked at to pick the bulk of the offense up. Um, there's going to be a huge load taken off of Luca, of course, but how Kyrie is really going to get it done, I would say is, I mean, uh, what he's done so well throughout his career is just sort of chip the defense away. Um, they're just little dribble moves, quick first step. I mean, he's, he's able to chip whoever's in front of him away uh, little by little. And that's sort of how he's always got it done. He's very acrobatic in the sense that, you know, he's he can finish pretty much any layup over anyone. Uh, we've seen him hit some really, really clutch layups um, that were just incredible, like just insane to watch. Um, and the fact that he also has an outside shot, we see, you know, him make a buzzer beater in Brooklyn earlier this year. Um, I want to say it was over or I forget who it was over, but um Anyways, like we, we've seen him do incredible things. Uh, and I, I just think he's an incredible three-level scorer. Luca, of course, has never had a teammate quite like this. Uh, but that's just sort of how he's going to get his offense done. Is And he always has got it done. Is just sort of chipping away um, at the defense. And he's 30 years old, and he's still doing this at an insane I mean, he's, he's basically at the apex of his prime or you know, yeah. however and. I mean, he just has such a sort of dynamism to him as a guard offensively that I think has been very, I mean, not many guys in the history of the NBA really have to them. I mean, he can work as a movement shooter too. He's a guy that can work well off ball. We've seen it, you know, have, you know, be integrated in those roles. You know, you can run a double drag screen for him, um, you know, and him have to dwell at the point of attack and take a guy off the dribble, or you can run a, you know, you can have him running a thousand miles an hour off a back screen to hit a three off the run. I mean, obviously that, you know, he's no Clay Thompson, but I mean, he, he can do that. Like he, this guy has a sort of dynamism to his game that and an offensive feel to his game that is, is unmatched. I mean, it, 
there's an argument to be made that, I mean, if Kyrie was like six, seven, he'd probably be one of the greatest players ever. Like, I mean, I, I don't think that there's really like, I mean, at least offensively, you know, just yeah. because of the, the amount of moves that this guy has in his arsenal or, are unmatched. He, you know, and specifically, like, it's going to be really difficult to try and trap um, when both of them are on the court at the same time, especially if you're using one, because now you can use one of them as an outlet in a four on three scenario, whoever the, and both of them are, you know, obviously Luca more so than Kyrie, but both of them are willing and very capable and passers in any scenario, great playmakers. I mean, Kyrie's playmaking has evolved exponentially since his time in Cleveland. Um, that's really been something that he's been able to develop uh, steadily over these last few years. And I mean, just that in itself, like very decisive individuals with the ball in their hands. And that, that's going to be scary when other teams try to trap them. Um, I, I think that it's going to be very similar to, you know, how, teams defended the Westbrook and Harden or the, no, rather the, uh, the Westbrook and Durant Thunder back in the day where you kind of just pick somebody in, especially at the Mavericks, you know, have the proper shooting around those guys. You know, a lot of teams are going to be trying to pinpoint mismatches and, you know, basically you know, doubling Luca and Kyrie at the point of attack and being like, okay, uh, let's, let's see what Reggie Bullock's got. Let's see if his three point shots on tonight. There's going to be a lot of that. Um, once things really get going, but I mean, the offensive fit is, is unmatched, um, and undeniably really well, so long as these guys are on the court together. What do you think, you know, we'll, we'll, just a tiny segment in regards to what you think about Kyrie's defense? Cause I, I see a lot of people already viewing his, him as like a net negative, but throughout his career, I mean, he's very savvy in terms of his defensive ant- intangibles. He's you know kind of sneaky, quick and athletic. He's always been a good at getting steals. I would definitely push back that he's, he's not some sort of gaudy off ball defender by any means. You know, he's not just clamping everybody up every which way. Um, but I mean, he's pretty savvy off ball. He he's tends to be locked in on that side of things. He's not some, he's not some sort of liability. I mean, I, I think I would definitely tear him off and at least that average to, you know, on a given night, potentially good defender, just depending on the night. Um, he, he, he averages a block and a steal the game this year. I mean, to, you know, speaking to, you know, some of those intangibles, being able to block guards and space, things of that nature. Um, do you think that how, how paramount is that to not, you know, have a defensive liability as the one a since the Mavericks ended up, you know, deferring to getting a guard next to Luca in this instance, like, you know, you would probably take Kyrie's uh, defense over like Jalen Brunson's even for instance, even though we're, we're acknowledging that Kyrie isn't like a DeJounte Murray next to Luca or a, or a SGA next to Luca defensively. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, this is clear. Uh, Kyrie's an upgrade from Spencer offensively and defensively, of course, but more so on the defensive side of things. I think, you know, people look at Spencer um, as a, you know, just complete negative on defense. And I think, I don't think Kyrie is that, you know, you like said we'd he's see, we'd, we'd see nights where Spencer would, yeah, have, we would see nights for sure. Yeah. Where uh, he'd be a good off ball defender, but more often than not his on ball defense. Um, and in those times where his, his offense ended up, you know, getting in a dry spell, he, he would get a lot more lackadaisical on his rotations and, 
and just his general off ball awareness. So, I mean, we're just not going to see that out of, um, I guess, number two, as he puts on a Mavs uniform, because that's the number he was denoted or he's, he's choosing, he's going back to number two with the Mavericks. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think defensively we can expect a little more effort on that side of things. Uh, he's a guy who historically is actually pretty quick. He can, you know, of course, grab a steal here and there. Uh, and that's sort of like his been been his trademark on defense has been sort of like his patent of getting his hand on the ball. Uh, and that's sort of what he does. Um, he's also engaged on that side of things. I think that's something that we can say we have become accustomed to not seeing on certain nights um, with certain people. And I think it's lucky to say that, you know, he's a guy who's at least bought in on defense. He's not, you know, a complete atrocious, basically gaping black hole on defense. You know, he's, he's going to put it in his work. Uh, and I think that's all that you can really ask for. That's all that Jalen Brunson did was, you know, work. You know, it, he put in his effort and, you know, we became a top five defense at that point. And I'm not saying we're going to be a top five defense, but if we can just work our ways into an average defense and I think Kyrie can help us in, in a sense, um, I think he helps us more than he hurts us on defense. And that's all that you can really ask for. If you can move up into, like I said, just that mediocre range on defense, like that autom- automatically elevates you into a, a way better point than you were. Uh, I mean, heck, even a week ago. So I, yeah, I think I mean, some of the trades that we're going to get into are, you know, going to be how can the Mavericks elevate into that, you know, good or elite territory on defense and how can they, you know, elevate themselves to a championship level contender team. So we'll definitely be hashing that out, you know, once we get into that trade segment, but just from a defensive perspective, um, you know, he's not a, he's not a black hole. We need to dispel any sort of narrative that of that there. I mean, also he's also, He's also a really good rebounding guard. I mean, he's consistently throughout his career. He's always been the, you know, the go-getter type. He averages, you know, usually like in between five to six rebounds a game. I believe he's at like five and a half this year. So that's also something that's valuable because a lot of the times Maverick guards definitely caught ball watching, rebounding outside of Luka. Um, you know, particularly we've seen it with Spencer and Tim at times. So that'll help a little bit. I'm, I'm not saying he's some sort of cure-all to the Mavericks rebounding problems, but he can definitely provide a little stopgap measure to help out on that side of things. Um, And I mean, just to, I kind of wanted to just touch back to, you know, going back on his offensive fit, you know, just the ability to draw fouls. I mean, this guy attracts a lot of magnitude. He's well, you know, the referees know him. He's not, he's not getting the whistle that Josh Green is getting. Um, He, the Mavericks are, they're going to be able to run teams into foul trouble a lot more now. And just the, the gravity that Kyrie is going to attract in terms of sinking the defense in um, it just allows for so much more offensively. Um, It's really going to be, it's going to be insanely hard to stop this team on offense, especially when they get the, if if they're able to surround the proper pieces uh, at, in the waning, you know, days of this trade deadline and really hone in on this roster. I mean, even this is still a juggernaut offense when these guys are playing together as is uh, just because of having Luca and Kyrie on the court. But I mean, if they can, if they can even improve marginally, I mean, that just does wonders for how good this team could be. And I mean, you know, with that being said, like, let's get into like what Kyrie is able to do 
clutch time. I was kind of like feeling that we were about to uh, dive into the trade segment, but we still do need a few things that we got to hash out here. Um, you know, I think that this is sort of an underrated aspect of all, all of this that Kyrie, you know, we've seen the Mavericks have some clutch time woes this season, but Kyrie's going to be able to relieve that to an extent. He, you know, there's another guy that can go get you a basket at a moment's notice. They can't just double Luca and, you know, have to depend on the Mavericks making the right read and somebody else hitting a shot. I mean, like, no, they, they that's not a concession. Another team's going to be able to make in, in the clutch. I mean, this guy literally hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history. So, Jaron, just speak to the uh, possibilities in terms of how this is going to just kind of maybe um, remediate some of the issues that the Mavericks have been having in the last five minutes in terms of, you know, putting teams away, things of that nature. They've struggled with that this season, but how can Kyrie in that championship experience and um, things of that nature uh, work to kind of mend the situation here? Yeah, I think Kyrie brings a, you know, different sort of offense or even source of offense uh, in those final five minute scenarios. We've seen a lot of times teams really get back in games and even take care of business on the Mavericks uh, whenever the Mavericks are being, you know, they're up in those five minute scenarios. Uh, I think having Kyrie in the game along with Luca is going to not only elevate this team into a different offensive level, but even in the clutch time, I think that this brings two different levels of clutch players on the court together. Uh, I mean, I instantly think of Washington Wizards game uh, where seemingly every single time the ball was inbounded, it was forced into Lucas hands and zero was brought out of that. Uh, and this is now automatically a guy that you can defer to when in that scenario. And I hate to say this, but Jason's kid, Jason kid is going to have to draw up a different, inbounding play when in the final three seconds well I mean Jason Kidd's also going to not need to not every single clutch possession unless you know it, there's just no time left like especially I, I was more so alluding to even just like the last five minutes of the game like let them trade off like so either one of them has enough energy to really go get it at any time because a lot of this you know this is just from a stamina perspective we haven't even touched on how that Luke is going to be able to be able to withstand a lot more as you know, you go farther along in games when they're playing together, he's not going to get as tired. We're going to probably see increased effort from him on the defensive end. Uh, this, this has a lot of ripple effects that, you know, admittedly we're not even going to be able to account for in one podcast. So that dynamic is going to be really interesting when we see it at play here, but just in the last, you know, waning moments of the game, having either guy that's able to, go get you a bucket. Um, that's paramount. And it's really hard to stop once, you know, that situation is figured out just in terms of how the Mavericks going to manage that in the clutch. Jason Kidd seems excited. He was vouching for Kyrie. I don't think he's going to just withhold opportunities and keep doing this heliocentric play style with Luca and just completely go the other way with what they should do. That'll be another conversation in itself if that does happen. Um, but right now, I mean, he at least vouched for him. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that he's going to take the challenge of figuring out the personality and the basketball player that is Kyrie and, and seeing how we can get the most efficient output of him and seeing how he can play the most games. I mean, this may sound kind of contradictory to what some of the stuff we said in the past, but I don't necessarily hate Jason Kidd. 
as Kyrie Irving's head coach. Um, you know, I, I do think that they, Jason, while Jason Kidd has had some past issues, I mean, Kyrie has too. And I mean, I don't know. I just think speaking from experience, like they, they're two interesting personality types that I think could kind of mesh well, if that makes any sense. What do you, what do you think about that, that take, Jaron? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, I mean, of course they have a history uh, working together, but I think, yeah, with just sort of the dynamic that Jason Kidd coaches, at, I think it works well with Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie is a guy that wants he, to be coached. He's not like Jason Kidd's not a stubborn or, I mean, I, I take that back. He's had, he's had tendencies to kind of be a stubborn coach, but he's always been real. He's always tended to the star players really well. We've seen that at stops in Milwaukee with Chris Middleton and Giannis and obviously here in Dallas and, you know, being a point guard of, you know, that also comes from African-American descent. I think that that's something that definitely matters a lot for Kyrie and is, um you know, really personal to him. I, I don't know. I, I just think that, this has the makings to end up going well. I think that they're not necessarily the conflicting personality types, even though they do have their own, you know, personal things that they've dealt with in the past, which is um, it's going to be, I think that might be refreshing to see it versus some of the positions Kyrie's been in, in the past with, you know, some of his other head coaches, but we'll have to see how it ends up playing out. Cause I mean, he was with Tyron Lue and, you know, still wanted to leave and get his own team. Who knows? But I, I do think that Jason Kidd, the way the lens through which he sees the games could actually aid in this, this instance, even though we all have our gripes about him and the way he manages certain players and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, barring that, I mean, I, I think we've covered it at nauseum and obviously we can't cover it all in one podcast, but, you know, we'll, we'll continue to talk about Kyrie for months, guys, obviously, you know, we're, we're just at the surface level of the stuff we're getting into here. Uh, but next, I wanted to kind of get a little bit into Markeith Morris because we haven't really touched on him too much. Uh, just, you know, a, sort of debrief on his offense and defensive fit because he was included in this trade. He's sort of an underlying aspect of it all. Uh, Jaron, what do you think of uh, what Markeith Morris can offer to the Mavericks offensively? Yeah, Markeith Morris, I mean, you know, we needed another wing, especially after sending Dorian. So getting Markeith Morris is almost kind of a prize in a sense uh, because I, I, I would call it more like. It, it was it's not like the first uh, – my best analogy for it would be like that like base level of insurance coverage package. It's definitely yeah. not the gold or the premium coverage that that was Dorian. You know, you're, you're still going to be held liable in most circumstances, but you, you at least get a, a little bit of a remediation effect to the loss of Dorian at that wing position. No, exactly. Um, I mean, this brings another sense of toughness to the team, a defensive, not anchor, uh, but a guy who can play wing defense that, you know, we, of course, we sorely need. Um, and I mean, again, like this is a Morris twin. Uh, so that's, you know, in itself, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, I guess my question is, is does Jokic already hate us now? Um, so <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I didn't even think about the ripple effects of that, but no, that's funny because Obviously, Lucas had so much, so many bouts like in the bubble and stuff with Marcus Morris on the opposite side. I mean, I know this is his brother and everything, but it's still crazy to see that that dynamic effect here. The fact that one of them, um, that Markeith Morris is actually now going to be on the Mavericks. It, it's definitely an underlying aspect of this trade that's getting swept under the rug completely. Uh, to speak to his defense a little bit, um, I do 
kind of want to, you know, maybe push back on like the narrative that he is a like elite wing defender just because he's like this, you know, big, strong, tough guy or whatever. I, I do think that Markeith Morris is a very stout defender. He's he's not getting pushed around by too many guys in the post. And, you know, especially for, you know, slower footed wings and big men, he's going to be hard to blow past, but you know, he, he's not some insanely elite rangy wing defender. He, he still has the tendency to get caught lacking on a rotation or, you know, not up to, doesn't have the foot speed to recover sometimes. He'll get blown by, but I mean, he's a, he's an average solid defender. Right. And couple that with a very like similar offensive game to his brother. It's not quite to the effect, maybe in terms of the shooting percentages that Marcus has, but they, they both have that kind of post creation ability. Um, You know, I wouldn't necessarily call him a creator, but like, it's interesting to have another bucket getter out there because he's definitely a stark contrast between how he and Dorian plays. Um, This is a guy that you could throw the ball into the post. He'll, he'll shoot a fadeaway. He can maybe attack off a closeout. He'll shoot a mid range jumper. He's not going to the cup as much like Dorian was. Um, and I mean, he'll, he'll pop out for three every once in a while. He's, he's not quite the shooter his brother is, but he's still is pretty solid from that perspective. And, um, you know, he's, he's always kind of been a decent cutter and stuff, things of that nature kind of just fills in the gaps, but he can get his occasionally. And that, that'd be interesting to bring off the bench. Cause I do, I do kind of presume that he'll get, he'll get some minutes here um, on this team. I don't know exactly what his role is going to look like, but you know, I, I do think that we're going to find out a little bit more about that. Uh, I need to look up his age real quick. I don't know exactly how old he is, um, but I, I am intrigued by that just to see the sort of timeline there. He is 33 years old. He's 33. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are getting a little early. I mean, older, obviously. He has not really played too much in his last few games for the Nets, but you know, not to mention also um, he, he's a fairly decent rebounder too throughout his career at least. Like he averages about five boards a game. So, you know, he has a he has a lot of mass to be able to throw inside in there as well and uh, I don't know I'm, I'm excited for his addition to the team even if it you know he's just very complimentary even if he's like the ninth or tenth man and he's not necessarily playing every night I'm not saying he will I, I think you know some nights he his toughness may be more valued than others and I, I don't know really exactly how the rotation is going to pan out for him but I, I am happy that especially since they conceded Dorian they at least got something back on that perspective especially if they don't do anything else which I don't think Mark Eve Morris just um, like basically cures our current wing depth defensive situation by any stretch of the imagination or um, just basically makes the situation any less dire for the Mavericks to go out and go get a wing at the trade deadline and go get a, or a rim protector for that matter. I mean, he's not patching any holes here. Um at any sort of large scale, but you know, it, it, like I said, it gives you that little like base level of insurance for Dorian leaving that, you know, that, that gives you a little semi semi competent guy to go to and in, in during stretches. And I mean, I, I don't really have too many other thoughts on his fit here, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see him play out. I'm intrigued to see the, um, you know, that, that first instance where, you know, an opposing player says something and he, he comes to Luca's defense or something like that. And it's, It'll be funny to see the dynamic there since his brother was obviously um, not, not to, that we had the whole shoe tying situation. I mean, there's a lot of history there. So uh, do you have any other thoughts on him before we uh, wrap this one up? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, he's really only our competent, like, mid-range only scorer, I feel like, um, in the sense that, like, really the only way he gets his offensive buckets is from the mid-range. But outside of that, um, I'm intrigued, like you said, to see some of the sort of scenarios where someone's getting in Luca's head, or not even getting Luca's head, but getting in Luca's face. Uh, I'm excited to see how that reaction goes over. Yeah, um, I mean, we haven't had, like, the enforcer type since James Johnson on this team, and even so, James Johnson, like, very seldom saw the court, so that was kind of hard to, you know, in terms of how this – he didn't really have the wherewithal to really help Luke out. I mean, I think Markeith at least is going to get some showtime now and then, especially with Luca. So I, I don't think that it's just going to be a scenario where he he's only on the bench in these instances. I think he'll at least play a little bit. So that'll be a, a really interesting to see, uh, but – we decided, uh, unfortunately, guys, to go ahead and split this up into two separate podcasts. We're still going to be doing the trade trade podcast right after that, but this Kyrie one just ran a little bit longer than we thought, so we just don't want to make it a big continuum. We want to give you guys the optionality to be able to kind of pick and choose between the two, which one you'd rather listen to since you know trade deadline. If you want to get more of the perspective of, what the Mavericks are going to do next. You can listen to the ensuing trade podcast. They'll both be posted relatively at the same time. I'm posting late tonight, obviously. Um, we're out here grinding at 4 a.m. for you guys just to get content out. So um, for those of you guys who actually made it this far in the podcast, we really appreciate you guys listening to see that we, the mainstream Mavs, we, we, we do care about content and content providing. We, we view this not as a service, but as a necessity. We we work to to provide what um I I don't even know where I'm going with this because a lot of people do the same thing we're doing. A lot of people do Mavericks basketball podcasts, but we a lot of people I I can probably guarantee you are not doing too many at 5 a.m. like we do. So we do them at very egregious hours um for very little benefit. So any support is appreciated by you guys. If you made it this far in the podcast, make sure to like comment and subscribe if you're listening via youtube if you're on youtube if you're on the youtube game gang go ahead and go ahead and uh comment what you think is going to happen the next time the mavericks play the nuggets just in terms of the marcus or rather markeith morris luka Doncic, and nikola Jokic dynamic there go ahead and comment what you think is going to happen um if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast listening platform, make sure to give us a five-star rating and follow us and subscribe to our show. We really appreciate you guys listening this far. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us at Twitter on Mainstream underscore Mavs. That being said, we really appreciate y'all support, and we're going to keep training these out. Make sure to listen to the trade podcast as well because we have a lot of scenarios what the Mavericks will be doing next now that we've kind of not hashed out all the Kyrie stuff because we'll be talking about this for months on end. But we got all the all the surface level sort of reactions out the way. So we're we're ready to proceed forward with the on-court fit and analyze how he's doing during the games and stuff. And we're excited about that. So make sure you listen to this ensuing trade primer because we have a lot of thoughts about what the Mavericks could do basically within the next 48 hours um, to really shore up this roster. And it, it could change a lot of different things. And it could change our tone and our atonement of how we operate in this podcast different. Uh, depending on what they do at this deadline. So there's still moves to be made in our opinions, but there may not be. We'll see. With that being said, we will catch you guys after the trade deadline podcast. Bye-bye.